truth determines whether something is loving or not. If it's in agreement with God's righteousness and pushes people towards him, then it is love. If it's just being nice and patting each other on the back while we affirm, our, affirm each other into oblivion, it's not love. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hi friends, way back in 2015, I used to work for a church here in Cincinnati called Crossroads and I gave a message one weekend. Um, It was right after the Obergefell decision. Did you know that Obergefell, the... um, court case that led to the uh, Supreme Court ruling that uh, gay marriage uh, was a thing. Did you know that that happened in Cincinnati, that the Obergefell guy was in Cincinnati? Yeah, he was. Anyhow, the weekend after that happened, or a couple weeks after, I gave the following message. And it has probably been the most um, impactful message I've ever given. Um, People refer to it. Here we are six years later. People still, I was uh, with somebody this morning that brought it up and said, I used to listen to that in college and I've probably heard it 20 times and blah, blah, blah. To be honest, I still go back and listen to this message because the things that are in it scripturally, they really keep me tethered. Um, So You are the people that I want to care for the most, that I feel I have some um, responsibility and opportunity to give good stuff to. I think this kind of undergirding as far as the way that we see the kingdom and the way we interpret um, current culture is absolutely critical to your home. And I see around my life, I see the families that are tethered to an undergirding truth And those are the ones who endure and their children endure and make it through culture. And the ones that are not tethered to an eternal truth that the culture of the kingdom of God is what we are looking for, pressing into and want to be expressed in our home. Those families um, that don't have that, they fall apart and they they lose their family culture, they lose their children, they sometimes lose their marriages because they aren't tethered to the eternal thing. So it it doesn't really fit into um, finances exactly, but certainly everything, if, if everything that we say about finances comes from scripture, this is at least one way of looking at why do we look at scripture? Why is the Bible a reference for what we think about money. And the Bible was written thousands of years ago. So anyways, this is me talking on stage in uh, 2015. And I hope it's a blessing to you guys. Um, Enjoy it. I do feel like I got some wisdom to share with you that, that could be a little troubling as we face it. Because The fact is that all of us feel the tension of being involved in several cultures at once. You're involved in your family culture and maybe your racial culture, American culture, and if you're a believer, the culture of the kingdom of God. To which culture is your chief orientation? 
Which culture can tell you what's right and wrong? When the culture of your family conflicts with the culture of the kingdom, who wins? When the culture of the United States conflicts with the culture of the kingdom, who wins for you? And probably, if you're like most of us, you kind of pick and choose who wins with whatever makes you feel good, makes you feel popular or important at the time. We kind of pick and choose those things. I want to give you some tools today to kind of expose what's happening around us. And so I'm going to start with just some current events, just to give you a lay of the land. Three signs you need to divorce your spouse. Forget divorce. Staying is the new shame. So we're, we're a culture that not only espouses divorce, but we are getting to a place where we encourage it. Next one. The Christian purge has begun. Chaplains banned from preaching that homosexuality is a sin. The story here is that a group of ministers for over 20 years have been ministering in local prisons. And then after the Supreme Court ruling, they were summarily kicked out and told you can minister here no longer. Uh, thank goodness this happened in California though, right? No, this was in Kentucky that this happened. These pastors kicked out of prisons. Next one. Montana man applies for three-way marriage. Now, three people getting married together is already happening around the world, and it's knocking on the door of American culture. Next one. AIV wed. Humans should be able to marry robots. That's on Slate.com. It's not a joke. This person did not write this article as a joke. They are saying that we have a moral impetus that we should let people marry robots. Um, that's the world that we live in, and it's a little disorienting. And if you haven't felt the tension between where do my beliefs stand? Is it on bible stuff or is it in cultural stuff? You're not paying attention if you don't feel that tension. And the point I'm going to make is that the United States, though founded on some kingdomy morals, um, is increasingly diverging from kingdom culture. Now, the kingdom, you have to understand this before I go on, Kingdom culture is based on Torah, the Bible, God's word, and it never, ever, 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 ever changes. Never. The kingdom culture never changes. The reason is because the culture of the kingdom and the scriptures are a representation of God's own character, his nature. And he never changes. We want to push into that kingdom culture more and more and more. We want to tailor our lives around it. That culture is the same as it was a thousand years ago. Because God's the same as he was a thousand years ago. It's the same as it was before there was time. Before there was history. Because God was there and he was the same. It'll be the same as when there's time no more. When we go into eternity, it'll be the same. Because God is the same. Psalm 145 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. That means God never opens up the newspaper. Well, he would have to be an old man to open a newspaper. He never goes online and finds out what's happening in the world and goes, oh boy, they're, uh, they've decided to uh, make weed legal in Colorado. I may need to come up with a third Corinthians and... Uh, tailor the Bible somewhat. God doesn't do that. He doesn't tailor his culture to what we're doing. Now, human culture, on the other hand, it always changes over time. Always. So it stands to reason that if you're oriented to the kingdom and you're in the middle of a human culture that is constantly changing, 
you're going to have to tether yourself to something that's more enduring than the human culture around you, which the Bible describes as being like waves. Like they're constantly moving around. And if you don't have a tether, you're just going to move around with them. I've been concerned, before I move on, I've been concerned with friends of mine who, uh, I did what you did on the day of the Supreme Court ruling. I went online to see what my friends were thinking and saying. I was stunned to see how many friends. It was immediately rainbow profiles, left and right, and love wins everywhere. And I was thinking, where were your rainbow profiles yesterday? Did you just kind of snap and go, well, this is what the culture affirms now, so I'm just... I'm going there. I'm not opposed to rainbows. That's not what I'm here to say. I'm opposed to tailoring our opinions immediately based on what a culture says. I have a friend, an old friend, who went to Colorado this summer, wanted to take his summer vacation to Colorado so that he and his wife could get baked the whole time. And these are believers. And I'm going, well, where'd you get that idea? Well, it's legal there. (laughs) Okay, so it was, well, you think it was wrong before it was legal and now that it's legalized, it's right? That's exactly my concern. Now, so what you could see is if you, chart, if you chart human culture on a timeline, you could see that over time we're moving. Now, we're going to do this. We're going to do a little experiment and, and actually do a little history lesson and see how United States culture has changed. But before we do that, I just want to say a couple things. I realize that American culture has never been pristine. We have history of racism and slavery in our country. We got a history of rebellion and pride and materialism. All sorts of things are kind of baked into being American. And I know that I'm picking and choosing. I know that I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm trying to make a point. So I trust you'll give me grace. Ding. I know you will as we talk. Okay. So I want to start with, I'm saying in one lifetime, how have things changed? So let's start in 1935. Uh, I hope there are people in the room who were born in the 30s. Relativism was introduced in 1932, and it wasn't a big, widely accepted theory. It was tiny in academic circles. Somebody just started saying, what if there's a possibility that truth is different for you than it is for me? What if it's it's possible that 2 plus 2 equals 4 for me, but 2 plus 2 equals 5 for you? That was just introduced for the first time in the 30s. Now, for those of you who are, you know, I don't know, 30 or younger, and you aren't familiar with what did the United States look like in the 30s and 40s, I like to collect gray beards, what I call gray beards. I like to hang around with old guys. The Bible says they're full of wisdom. I like to spend time with old guys because they're full of wisdom. So I, I, as I'm processing this stuff, I was talking to some old guys and just saying, what was it like for you growing up? And I took some quotes from them. Would you like to hear them describe their lives? Here's what they said. When I was a kid, nobody got divorced, just wasn't seen as an option. I also remember blue laws. There was no trading on Sunday. Stores weren't open. The assumption was that the nation was in church. Same with Wednesday nights. No school activities would be scheduled because you couldn't pry people away from their church rhythms. Next one. You never, ever swore in front of a woman. That was for locker rooms only. And there was never coarse language or sexual misconduct in the movies. We're going like, what planet was he on exactly? I remember praying in school as a classroom. And the Ten Commandments were in every courtroom. The idea was that all categories of public life were lived out before God according to his rules. Now, I'm not making value judgments here. I'm not here to go, oh, USA, why aren't you like you used to be? That's not my point. 
USA can do whatever it needs to do. I'm concerned about the people in this room. I want you to be able to navigate shifting sands around you, okay? So that's the 30s. Let's fast forward into the 70s. This is my world. I was born in the 70s. And the normalization of divorce happened in 1968. There was a no-fault divorce introduced in the United States. You don't have to have a reason. You can just break up your marriage whenever. That's a very significant societal shift, by the way. I'm, I'm not just trying to... I'm not trying to slap you around if you've been divorced. I'm just trying to say that's a, that's a significant destabilizing force for a culture and a society. We legalized abortion. We had increasingly casual attitudes about sex because of the sexual revolution in the, in the 60s and 70s. And cohabitation normalized. Living together before being married was very rare and it started spiking during these years. Let's go on. 2015. Here's what your country looks like right now. Legalized hallucinogenic drugs, part of our nation. Multiple adolescent murder sprees. That is to say, we think it's just a tax of being American that once every 12 to 18 months, some kid's going to go nuts and kill everybody around him. That's unique to our culture, by the way, if you didn't know that. We have the highest STD rate and teen pregnancy rate in the industrial world. We are the internet pornography capital of the world. 90% of all pornography is created in the United States. And the average high school male, I said average, spends two hours a week looking at pornography. We have the highest divorce rate in the world. Our marriage rate is at an all-time low. American millennials don't trust marriage. They're scared of it, and they're not doing it in record numbers. 56 million aborted babies since Roe v. Wade. We have normalized disobedience in our children. I, I say, why you say, why did you put that on this list? The Bible describes, when the Bible's talking about societies, it talks about disobedient children as being a significant um, factor in what a, 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 a problematic society looks like. And it, we used to be a really disciplined culture, and now it's a punchline in um, sitcoms that we don't have kids that obey us anymore. We have the highest incarceration rate on earth. We have the highest rate of drug use on earth. We're the most obese nation on earth. We have so-called Christian authors that question the virgin birth, say, do you, have to, does, do you even have to believe that to be a Christian? And we have ministers that affirm gay marriage. This would be a great time for a joke, if I could just insert a joke here. But um, if this list implicates you, I know I'm talking to thousands of divorced people right now. I know I'm talking to addicted people right now. I know that I'm, I'm talking to porn users right now. If you're implicated by this list, I don't, this isn't, who's a sinner time? Let's get out the flashlight and stick it in your eyes. I think you're a sinner. That's not the point. It's not the point of what I'm doing. I'm trying just to describe a culture that's changing. And I want to say, if, if you feel accused at all, that's not my point to accuse you. I am broken. We are broken. We, I, I feel like Isaiah says, I'm an unclean man and I live among an unclean people. What I'm trying to illustrate for you is if you are tethering your life to American culture, you have handcuffed yourself to the Titanic. It's, it's going down. The, the scriptures say all, all human-made cultures will end up devolving, and, and history proves that out. 
What I want to do is contrast these two things, and I want to encourage you and give you the tools whereby we can navigate our way through being Americans and yet let not, not letting my beliefs and values be dictated to me by an American culture, okay? I love you. That's why I'm sharing these things, okay? Do you know that? Okay. I'll also just say that we as a crossroads community, if we tailor our beliefs to what's popular in the day, not only will we lose all of the hope and joy and love and life that we experience as a community, we lose the right to export anything to any of the places that we wanna go throughout our city, South Africa, India, wherever we're, wherever we're feeling called, we got nothing to offer if all we can do is say, well, we'd like to give you the 2015 version of America. Won't you say yes to America? What? We got to be tethered to something that's eternal and that lasts a long time. So here's my three questions. I'll repeat them again. To which culture is your chief orientation? Did you know that you have to make that decision? You actually do. Which culture can tell you what's right and wrong? Do we know what a Christian is? Historically and biblically, not just a modern definition. It probably took me 10 years of church going and Bible reading and Jesus following and whatever, you know, however I knew to do that before I realized what I had said yes to when I started following Jesus wasn't actually what the Bible describes as being a Christian, being a Christ follower. And I just realized, wow, I bought into something half-baked. And actually Jesus' bar is far different than the bar of whatever books I'd been reading or churches I'd been dropping in on. And I, this is a really important question for us, by the way, because we're all going to stand before God someday, and he's not going to say, did the Americans like you? He's just going to go like, well, how did, what did you do about my word in the eternal kingdom that's wrapped up in who I am? The next question is, where do your primary allegiances lie? The Bible says that these two kingdoms Man culture and kingdom culture will be increasingly smashing into each other with violent collisions, increasingly as time goes on. And we have to decide where do our allegiances lie. I want to give you a little uh, passage from Colossians 2. It's a little warning and it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world. That's human culture and not according to Christ. For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That means the buck stops with Jesus Christ. He's the chief authority. All kings will end up answering to him. All cultures will end up answering to him. He's the chief authority. I'd rather you just skip the middleman personally just skip the culture that you're a part of, go right to the head authority and say, how do you want me to live? Now, I wanna make sure that you have tools to do that, so I'm just gonna describe something for you just for a second, give you a little, little chart that's gonna help you and I'll be done. And this chart describes what American culture looks like in um, values-wise, looks like in 2015. If you're 20 years old in the room, you're gonna shrug your shoulders and go, yeah, I know that. If you're 50, 60, 70 in the room, this might be news to you. So I want us to all kind of clue in on what's actually happening around us. These are the values as they stand. The greatest value in America in 2015 is freedom. 
the idea of freedom. And it's not freedom that we used to talk about in the 50s and 60s, where freedom was we want to export democracy and capitalism. Freedom as defined in 2015 is the affirmed right to do whatever I want to do. That's freedom as, you, as used by our culture. And everybody, everybody who's kind of clued in on social media is nodding their head right now. Well, we know that. And we talk about freedom as if I can do anything I want to do. And right underneath that, love is you helping me do whatever I want to do. If you're affirming me doing whatever I want to do, that's loving. If you're opposing me while I'm trying to do whatever I want to do, that's hate. Don't you dare do that. Now, I'm just, I'm, I, it's hard for me to not get a little worked up because I'm kind of because I'm kind of passionate about this stuff, and I want us, I want us to know what's really going on. The last, the last little thing, I stuck it in this list. It's not actually in the list of American values, but in as much as it impinges upon my freedom, truth is deeply problematic or it's non-existent. Truth in the culture. We, we've, we've moved past it. It's like Isaiah 30 describes. It says, there's going to come a time when people will say, stop confronting me with the Holy One of Israel and get out of my way because I want to do what I want to do. Well, that's where we live. Contrast that list with this list, which are eternal values of the kingdom. And just to make it real clear for you, I'll put it in bold type here. This is the list to know, everyone. <laughs> This is the one that I most want you to be familiar with, and I want you to use it to run your life. Now, it might be news to you uh, in this list because, because culturally, and including in church cultures, gosh, for the last 20 years, we've talked so much about love, love, love. It makes sense out in the world. There's a lot of talk about love, and so we talk about love a lot. But it's not the greatest value in the kingdom of God. Love is not. The greatest value in the kingdom is truth. Truth. Because truth, as I said, is 100% wrapped around the person and identity of God. And his expression in the life of Jesus. And his expression in the scriptures. Truth is God's laws and his character. Now I'm going to illustrate my point about the relationship between truth and love with a couple of verses for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, which was read at your wedding, says this. <laughs> it says, you might remember this, somewhere in the dark recesses of your mind, love does not rejoice with unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. That says that truth tells love what to do. That says that you don't get to determine whether something is true by whether you think it's loving or not. If that feels loving to me, then I feel like that's true. Wait a second, that didn't feel loving to me. I don't think that's true. I don't believe that. You, you're not allowed to do that. Truth determines whether something is loving or not. If it's in agreement with God's righteousness and pushes people towards him, then it is love. If it's just being nice and patting each other on the back while we affirm, our, affirm each other into oblivion, it's not love. Love is helping people towards God's truth. 
So even though you might feel that I pinch you a little bit this morning, if it pushes you towards God's truth, it's love. And I want to be loving toward you as I share these things with you. That applause is like, yes, please be loving, Stephen. Okay. So I like, to, I like to share this illustration. Imagine a deaf kid in the, in the road, and there's an 18-wheeler bearing down on this deaf kid, and you lock eyes with the kid, and you're going, get out of the road. And he goes, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. At some point, because you care about the kid, you take matters into your own hands. You charge into the road. You tackle the kid. You break some of his ribs in the process. You tumble onto the other side of the road while the 18-wheeler is screaming behind you. The kid is so confused about what you've done that he's punching you in the face and cussing you out because you've broken my ribs, you've hurt me. Is that a loving thing to do? Yes. Maybe you didn't hear the question. Is (laughs) Is that a loving thing to do? Is the kid upset at the time? Is he in pain because of my love? Yes. And I won't apologize to the kid, you know. (laughs) I go like, I did that because I love you. Now I'll drive you to the hospital. (laughs) Um, We don't understand that picture in our culture anymore. We don't understand that opposing someone could be the most loving thing for them. Now I'm not here to say that truth is always painful. Or that love is always painful. You want to hear, you, can, I, can I sprinkle some sweetness on you? Here's, here's another truth. You could be forgiven this morning. Oh, oh, that one didn't feel like, that didn't feel like an 18-wheeler. Oh, here's another truth. God came to earth to pay the penalty for your sins so you don't have to. Oh, that one felt good too. Oh, we get some applause on that one. Love is communicating God's laws with his character in mind and, and pushing people to his truth in a way that, that maintains grace, mercy, compassion. John 1 says Jesus came with grace and truth. He, he brought us truth, but he, he does it in such a kind, patient package. He, he's not constantly slapping us around, truth time, son. That is not Jesus. He's so graceful, he's so patient as he brings us the truth. Now, freedom in the kingdom is a consequence of living in God's truth and character. It's not, one, it's not the only consequence. There's a lot of consequences for living in God's truth. Joy is a consequence. Having peace when you lay down in the bed at night is one of the consequences. Unity with a whole bunch of people around the world who are pursuing this invisible kingdom. And freedom. Freedom is a great consequence. But here's, Jesus said, if you you want freedom, I got the recipe for you. And he says it in John 8. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that, that makes you smile, doesn't it? I don't even have to pursue freedom I just pursue truth, and I get freedom along the way with it. Oh, that sounds a pretty good deal. I want to read you two, two passages, and, and I'll be done. This tension that we feel about divergent cultures and navigating that space is not new. As I said, every single culture in the world does this thing. Every human culture does this straying move. 
And this tension's not new. And Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, to describe what to do in this space. And here's what he says. I give you this charge. Preach the word that is the truth of God's Torah. Preach the truth. Be prepared to do so in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, when it's popular, as it might have been more so in the 50s, and when it's unpopular in 2015, when it is culturally acceptable and when it is not culturally acceptable, when it makes you look like part of the crowd and when it makes you look like an outsider weirdo. By the way, if you want to tailor your life to the kingdom, you will increasingly be lonely and weird in American culture. Is everybody picking up on that? That's true. If we're not ready to do that, we're sunk. So I would say, gird up your loins, friends. We need to get a little bit tougher about being seen as weirdos and outsiders. My allegiance isn't to United States culture, it's to the kingdom of God. And if I am a weirdo in America, so be it. Uh, I interrupted my reading. Of 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come. Oh, it says to do it with great patience and careful instruction. That means lovingly. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, that is the truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, their freedom, they will gather around them a great number of teachers and authors and podcasters to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That is, human cultures invented by the minds of men. Oh, that's, that, that feels a little bit close, doesn't it? And I read one more passage to you. It's a warning. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, tell me if this sounds like America 2015 to you, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from this evil world itself. And this world is fading away. All of these cultures, these evil forbidden things will go with it. And here's what I want for you. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. That's what I want for you. Thank you for your time.